Today's podcast, like all of my podcasts, brought to you by my patrons, people that sign up and donate a monthly recurring sum on Patreon. I want to thank you guys so much. That link is in the podcast description. First and foremost, I want to shout out my exclusive gold and silver providers over at JM Bullion. These guys have been supporting me for years now. So if you are in the market looking for gold and silver bullion, go to JM Bullion first. They have been in business for nearly a decade. They have done over $7 billion in sales. They turn around my orders quickly. They ship discreetly. They have great inventory. Their premiums are reasonable. And generally, I find that they do a damn good job. In addition, QTR podcast listeners have their own rep at JM Bullion. And so if you want personalized attention, you don't need to get it. You can always go and order off the website. That link is in the podcast description, but if you need some help, you have some questions, maybe it's the first time you've ordered gold and silver bullion, you can always email Laura, L-A-U-R-A at jmbullion.com. Email Laura, shoot her a message, chat her up a little bit. She's there to help you out with buying gold and silver bullion. Let her know you are a QTR podcast listener and you want to you wanna make nice. <laughs> <laughs> you want to chatter up a little bit. Uh, Laura has been wonderful. Jay and Bullion have been longtime supporters of mine. They've never given me any shit about anything. And I love these guys. And so I have serious appreciation for them, which means if you like the podcast, please give them a play on my behalf. I would appreciate it. This podcast also brought to you by my friends over at Sang Lucci and Wall Street Jesus. Man, Sang Lucci is producing a free daily uh, live stream in the morning starting at, I believe, 9 or 9.30 a.m. I've watched it a couple of times. If you go over to Sang Lucci's YouTube channel, you can watch him trade the open every day. And it's funny because it's not some stuffy guy in a suit trading. It's Sang Lucci trading like a psychopath and cursing and having a good time. They have a great community there that they've built at that trade space in Puerto Rico. I love Lucci like a brother. His friend Charlie Bathgate has been along time friend of the podcast as well wall street jesus we kind of have been all knock around guys to some degree for the last 10 plus years all these guys that have kind of been around on FinTwit for a while my buddy nate over at uh investors live those kind of guys you know we've everybody's kind of known each other here for a little while because we all started around around the same time it's been over 10 years now that i've been on uh twitter which is wild uh, Lucci also has the Steam Room, which is a wonderful piece of software that helps identify moves in the options market that oftentimes can precede moves in the equities market. The Steam Room is just pretty much their community there. So not only are they tracking unusual option, uh, options activity, but they are talking about markets and uh, generally just helping one another out. Lucci, I'm sure, will give you a free trial of the Steam Room if you would like it. You just tell him QTR sent you. Reach out to Lucci at Sang Lucci on Twitter, um, or his contact info is in the podcast description if you want to try it out. This podcast also brought to you by my friend George Gammon over at Rebel Capitalist Pro. George Gammon has become a resounding success. He's hosting conferences and shit now. It's unbelievable what George has been able to do. George has two great free YouTube channels, George Gammon and Rebel Capitalist Live. You can check the, I'm sorry, George Gammon and Rebel Capitalist. You can check them out for great content, basically on how to preserve your wealth in a world of out-of-control central banks. Rebel Capitalist Pro comes with other great goodies, such as access to experts like Lynn Alden, Chris McIntosh, and Brent Johnson. They also have great online forums where people share advice, mock portfolios. You get all the premium content from people like Lynn Alden that you would have to pay for separately. Uh, and really, you get live Q&A access to George himself, which is an incredible resource because George knows his shit. Unlike me, George takes the time to research things. And so check out Rebel Capitalist Pro if you want a free trial there. I'm sure George will work with you as well. Tell him QTR sent you. George Gammon, Sang Lucci, JM Bullion. These guys are personal friends of mine. It is really my pleasure to recommend them at the beginning of every podcast. Sure, we have a business relationship, but outside of that, I would drink beer with any of these people any day of the week and have actually. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've done a good job of vetting my sponsors to try to make sure that I'm not shilling for people that I don't like. And trust me, I have gotten the offers. I've just turned them down. 
Anyways, with that being said, I am not a financial advisor. This is not financial advice. There is a two-drink minimum for this podcast. I hold no licenses, no registrations, nothing with the SEC. This is your one and only disclaimer that I am an idiot. If you would like more, please read my disclaimer on my Substack, my daily blog called Fringe Finance. That link is in the podcast description. Okay, I'm happy to have my old friend Peter Schiff on the line, and after some scheduling conflicts, Peter is the uh, the CEO, the global st- chief global strategist. He's my favorite economist, which is really all you need to know about him, of Europe Pacific Asset Management, and now, once again, o- owner of Schiff Gold. I think I got that right. Uh, we spent some prep time this morning because Peter is going to take the interview from his sauna. So anybody's looking, anybody's looking for a visual on the interview this morning, you, you sadly you have one already. <laughs> well, I'm, first of all, I'm not, I'm not the CEO uh, of your Pacific Asset Management. I'm, I own it, but I, I, my main title is uh, the senior economist and market strategist. Okay. But yes, I mean, you're catching me on a Sunday morning. I'm trying to get a lot of my routine done. I was going to try to have the talk with you this morning as I spent two hours in a hyperbaric oxygen chamber. Uh, listeners to my podcast probably know I've been talking about the hyperbaric chamber. Uh, but uh, the next up on my regiment, I'm going to be uh, spending some time in the sauna. And so I figured I could continue this uh, discussion because I got to get ready for the big tailgate that we do here every Sunday for the NFL. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to be watching all all of the uh, the football games. And see, my game doesn't start until 4 p.m. Eastern, so I'm doing the same thing as you. I'm getting all my shit out of the way so I can enjoy myself and have a beer. And, which uh, is which? Which game is yours? The Eagles. Ah, oh, you know, I'm gonna. Well, I'm gonna be rooting for the Cowboys to beat the Eagles. <laughs> <laughs> not because not because you're an Eagles fan, but because I like Dallas, and the Eagles need to lose a few more. They're they're too good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That doesn't sound like the free market Peter Schiff that I know, you know? What's that? You gonna be petitioning <laughs> well, to ban the quarterback sneak next? No, no, you know, I mean, that is a very aggressive move they've got, but uh they're gonna figure out how to stop it. Correct. But I'm I'm a I'm a Dolphins fan, so we're we're we're, pay, we're playing the commanders, so we gotta hopefully the Dolphins seem to be able to beat bad teams, so hopefully yeah. we win. <laughs> but the Eagles, your Eagles beat us. They did. That was that was one of our three losses. Yep. So listen, I want to uh, – I'll keep it moving this morning because obviously you've got your self-care routine to tend to. I also would like to go run today at some point. There are two main things that I want to talk about. I'm going to let you pick the order, okay? One is gold, and the other is this uh, – Thing with the Australian news station, which as as you text me before, please let me finish my breakfast. You put up like five <laughs> tweets in the time that <laughs> I'm like, you're fucking out of control. I mean, you are rightfully you are rightfully pissed off. I would be just as pissed as you. But I hell hath no fury like you on Twitter when well, you're pissed off. Well, just so you know, I composed those tweets in the hyperbaric chamber, so I had them ready to go. I didn't like I was while I was eating breakfast. So what, what would you like to would you like to gold. talk about the fact that you've been right about gold or would you like to talk about the fact that you were right about the uh that you won your defamation? It's a win-win. It's a fluff job for you this morning. Well, people need to understand that I'm right about a lot of things. But <laughs> let, let's start, let's let's start about gold. Now, I will admit, I will admit that I I have been wrong about how long it's taken gold to get to its current price. Right. Because I have thought that gold would be much higher than this many, many years ago. Right. Now, I mean, I'm right that gold was going to go up. I mean, it just hit an all-time record high. Um, and that means that anybody who bought gold, you know, is, is ahead. You can't possibly be behind because it's never been higher. It closed at 2070. But obviously, you could have bought other things that went up a lot more than gold, uh, although I didn't tell people to only buy gold and exclude everything else. Uh, but going back you know, a decade or more, given the monetary and fiscal policies that I was highly critical of, I would have thought that gold would have been at this level much sooner, and by now it would be a lot higher. So I will right. acknowledge that 
that timing is not right. But where gold is ultimately headed, I mean, I, I mean, I'm going to be vindicated on that. You know, it took me it took me years to win this defamation lawsuit because they did everything they could to drag out the conclusion. Right. Uh, and and now they're still trying to deny the fact that that they lost. You know, it's like it's like an MMA fighter. You know, he's he's about to get choked out, and, and so he taps out before he passes out, and then he claims he didn't lose the fight. Oh, I, I settled the fight. Yeah, I, after, <laughs> after I kicked after I kicked their asses for two years and won seven judgments in a row, they 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 agreed, they agreed, they consented right. to a judgment entered against them and they agreed to pay me more than the legal amount the maximum that you can get for defamation and the maximum amount is only if it's really bad it's really extreme they gave me more than i could have gotten had the judge done it himself so it's like and and, and it was unconditional surrender they basically said okay you win on everything we lose we'll give you more than you're legally entitled just stop Stop the litigation because we're, we're spending all this money. Well, that was their fault. They could have surrendered at the beginning and written me a check. But the problem is they've never even admitted publicly that they were wrong. Now they're trying to uh, deny that. And the craziest thing is they actually went to court. I had to go to court on, on Thanksgiving night. They, they went crying to the judge to try to get the judge to issue a court order to stop me from tweeting. They, they they said you you can't do this. It's it's going to harm the reputations of our reporters. You know you you can't expose this stuff. You can't let the public see the inner workings of of broadcasters. Because I was I was saying, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna show you know like my real interview. I put my actual interview of sixty minutes yeah, that they chopped it. up. <clears throat> yeah, they tried to prevent me. They wanted a court order to prevent me from releasing that. Yeah, that interview and that interview really shows what I mean, I, nobody was privy to the conversations that you had prior to the interview, but you're very adamant throughout the interview. Look, I don't want to talk about the bank. I can't talk about the bank. There's an investigation ongoing. I'm going to get but up. No, I'm going to get up. You 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 had so much patience and No, just... I talked I talked about the bank. That's, That's the true. problem. They didn't they didn't tell me that they wanted to interview me about the bank. They didn't say that. And if you watch the interview, and anybody listening to this should go on my on my YouTube channel, and it's Peter Schiff ambushed by Nick McKenzie. Go on there and watch the interview. It's almost an hour long. So the first 10 minutes was his BS because he talked to me a little bit about economics and the economy because that's what they told me they wanted to talk about. So that's the first 10 minutes. Then uh, he blindsides me by asking me about the bank. And, you know, I, I don't have any problem. I, I talked to him about the bank for like another eight minutes. And, and then after he keeps asking me about the bank, only after eight minutes did I say, oh, you know, uh, you know, I don't even I have nothing to do with the running of the bank. So, you know, why are you even asking me these questions? I, I don't I'm not involved in the bank. Right. Then he kept talking to me about the bank for another 11 minutes. Right. After that. And I, and I keep answering all of his questions. Then finally, like 19 minutes of talking about the bank, and I have no problem answering all these questions about the bank. Right. Then he accuses the bank of of helping criminals launder money and evade taxes. That's when I get kind of annoyed and it gets heated. But I still talk <clears throat> to him about the bank for another 20 minutes. Right. Yep. Before I finally and and. You know, when they described that interview on the 60 Minutes broadcast and in the article, they said, well, don't ask him about his bank. He doesn't want to talk about his bank. He refuses to answer questions about his bank. I answered so many questions. It's just at, at one point after you ask me the same question, right. like a half a dozen times, and I've already answered it, and then you keep asking it again, I'm going to say, look, I'm not answering these questions. Right. And so that's what they showed. Oh, I don't want to answer these questions. After I already answered them and they kept answering, asking them again. So, I mean, the whole thing was deceptive. In fact, at the very beginning, I, I put in uh, the beginning of the interview. Nick McKenzie is there and I asked him, hey, uh, you know, what's this interview going to be about? 
And he says, oh, well, it's going to be about the economy, and uh, we'll take it from there. But oh, let me, let, do you mind if I go to the bathroom? i gotta, I got to fix my hair. Yeah, it's like, I saw that. But because I'm asking him what the interview is going to be about, and he doesn't want me to know. Right. He's lied to me, and now he wants to leave, so I can't ask him any more questions until the whole thing is going to start. Because he wanted to surprise me. By talk, talking about that, I mean, completely unethical. But the worst thing about this whole case, absolute worst thing about it, is in discovery, which I finally got. And who knows what they destroyed? Because I'm sure they destroyed the best evidence because these guys are dishonest. <laughs> but all the information they had from their investigation, you know, their so-called investigation, because it wasn't really an investigation because it wasn't an attempt to find the truth. It was an attempt to bury the truth. But all the evidence they had in their investigation um, exonerated the bank. Everybody they talked to, all the former customers, all the former employees, all the referral agents, they all had one thing in common. They told the reporters, oh, my God, this bank's compliance is off the charts. I've never seen anything like it. They are so strict. They, I mean, I, you know, it takes six to eight weeks to open up an account. They question every single transaction. It's annoying. It's a pain in the butt. Everybody talked about the compliance and how tough it was. And they ignored all of that. And they deliberately misrepresented that they were told that our compliance was lax, that our customer vetting was light. All those were lies. Also, their investigation revealed they didn't find a single criminal that had an account at my bank. Nobody. In fact, they couldn't even point to a single customer that had a problem with taxes or money laundering. Not even one. Not of the thousands of accounts that we had. I mean, they lied from the beginning of, the, of it th throughout the entire legal process. I mean, they lost seven judgments in a row because every, every uh, 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 um, you know, motion they filed was B.S., I mean, I, that's a record in Australia. Nobody's ever lost seven times in a row in the same <laughs> same lawsuit. It's a record in Australia. So, I mean, is, I it, mean, is it, it really it, a record? Or are you just saying that? No, no, no. It's a record. You don't. You how do you lose seven consecutive <laughs> judgments? Yeah, I mean, try to try to toss a, a coin seven times in a row and get heads. Right. Well, what, what you think you're going to do that? Oh, uh, trust me. <laughs> if I'm betting on black, red's coming out seven times in a row. I'll show you how to do it. Don't worry about it. But no. <laughs> But now they're covering up. They they're covering up the fact that they lost all these other reporters, like that guy, right. New York Times. You know, they're all sticking up for each other. They they don't want to admit they destroyed my bank. They they basically told the world that my bank was being investigated for crimes, which apparently was true. It was investigated and completely exonerated because we didn't do anything wrong. And had nobody said anything about the investigation. My bank would be thriving today. I'd right. be making a bunch of money. All the customers would be would be in good shape. But because the age and 60 Minutes and the New York Times decided to let the world know that there was this confidential investigation that people suspected that I was working with criminals and helping organized crime figures launder money. The minute they said that, it's like, oh, my God. I mean, it must be true. I mean, where there's smoke, there's fire. And everybody just fled the bank, it, it, especially all of the key, the key companies that I worked with because they were afraid of the reputational risk of being associated with me. I mean, the way they presented it, too, it was like I was going to get handcuffed and do the perp walk, you know, any minute. Like right. they caught me dead to rights, right. you know, yep. operating this big uh, money laundering. But all of it was false. And I don't know why. And Why you kicked they the guy's ass during the interview, too. You kept saying to him, if you're making an accusation that doesn't have a basis in fact, make it because I'll sue you. And what people should do if they haven't, if they're not familiar with what's going on here, they should go back and watch, just watch how, uh, what the original report looked like. I don't know if it's still up or if they were ordered to take no, it down. No, they had a, they had a, they had a take. They had to take it down. It was oh, ordered because down. it was but, it stood at stark odds with what the full length report was like. They made you look like the they make you look like a fucking criminal. In, in but, their, in but it wasn't just me. <clears throat> they, did, they edited all the other interviews, right? That that they did to make me like they had this one guy in sixty minutes. This guy Ogilvy, who was a former IT employee, 
and he specifically told them, I don't have any knowledge of, of uh, their accounts. I don't know about their customers. I never saw any evidence of money laundering or tax evasion. They didn't show any of that. And then they, they, they held him up as supposedly a whistleblower about money laundering and tax evasion. I mean, they, they distorted every, every interview that they, that they did. Like, you know, the referral agents, like they tried to pretend that they were telling people that my bank, uh, you know, had lax vetting when they told them the exact opposite. And then they took stuff out of context to create the false impression that, that they said the opposite of what they actually did. So everything was selectively edited to, to make an innocent person look guilty. And they knew they were doing it. They did it intentionally. So they deliberately lied to their audience, to their readers. Yet this guy, Nick McKenzie, are getting honored with awards for excellence in journalism. They just named a, uh, a, a, a grant, a $10,000 grant to be given every year for journalism in the name of this guy, Nick McKenzie, who's a complete fraud and a liar. It's not journalism when you lie, right? This is the definition of fake news. And, you know, some people are like, you know, you know, harass me. Oh, why don't you let it go? Why do you keep talking about it? I got, I'm not going to let it go because this is perfect proof that you're being lied to by the media. Right. I, I got all the proof and the government. And what really pisses me off, too, is that there's no congressional investigation. Where are all the Republicans that claim they don't want the IRS to be weaponized because they were weaponized against me because of my conservative libertarian views? That's the only reason they suspected me. That's the only reason they, they, they harassed the hell out of me and, and, and uh, investigated me for two years. And of course, even though they did all that, they found nothing. So when are you going to bring this case back to the 40 million person audience at Joe Rogan? Or are you allowed back on there after you guys spent two hours interrupting each other that last interview? Yeah, well, you know, that's what happens when you use Skype audio. Sometimes it's hard <laughs> It's hard to hear. It's hard to hear the other side because you, it cuts out. Like it's not a a true com conversation. It's one voice, and then another voice. And so if you're talking, you can't hear the other person who's talking. Um, but no, I, I um I love to do, go on the show again. We've reached out to him, but I just haven't. I guess he hasn't had a chance to schedule it, or I don't know what what's on his mind. But. Um, what are the reasons, too? If you read, did you read the, any of the articles about it from the Daily Wire? Yeah, I've read everything. I've been following it very closely. So, in the in the article that the first one that Luke Graziak wrote, <clears throat> he said that he thought one of the reasons that um, the IRS was pissed off at me was because I went on the Joe Rogan podcast oh. and talked about moving to Puerto Rico, and a lot of people moved to Puerto Rico. And that cost the IRS money because that was tax revenue that they no longer collected. And clips of me on the Joe Rogan podcast were used in the 60 Minutes piece. So, you know, he was very much a part of this whole thing. And, and so, you know, it's, it's, it certainly makes sense that we really discuss it in depth on his podcast. You know, he does a three-hour podcast, so that's plenty of time to really go into a lot of the detail and expose all the lies and corruption in this case, you know, which would include uh, the media, uh, the government, the IRS, the J5, local Puerto Rican regulators. I mean, all these governments conspired uh, to deprive me of my rights, of my property, uh, you know, to smear me, uh, you know, and, and yeah, even though I won the lawsuit, I mean, I still lost tens of millions of dollars uh, which is not an insignificant amount of money, even for me. In fact, it may have even been hundreds of millions that I lost. Uh, so, no, it you know, is it's not. not like it's not like, you know, it was no big deal. Plus, also, you know, I don't want to appear. Uh, I don't want to appear that I don't care about the customers. Right. But there are thousands of customers that eventually will get their money. Uh, but they've been waiting over 17 months and they haven't gotten any of it. And that, that was all unnecessary. There was no reason for regulators to do that. And I think it was all done just to make me look bad and to try to help the reporters I was suing defend themselves against the lawsuit that they lost anyway. Well, because it's, it's 100 percent like Reserve Bank, right? So all the money's there. It was always there, although it may not all be there now, depending on how much has been squandered since 
they took over 17 months ago. You know, we've been paying this receiver a lot of money, but who knows what other unnecessary expenses he took on. Let me ask you, I want to segue from this because we're talking a little bit about taxation. I want to move to the country's uh, fiscal position right now. And, you know, look, I want to go back to gold. I want to talk about that also. But, uh, you know, just watching the national debt, we're about to hit $34 trillion now. And you start watching the interest on the national debt continue to rise. And I, I wrote last night in an article that I wrote, there just hasn't been any semblance of a suggestion that the people in power want to exercise any discretion when it comes to spending or any type of discipline. And at some point, you wonder with the money printing and the amount of uh, interest that we need to pay on the national debt, you know, I mean, to me, it just seems like the the tax or i mean the the interest on the national debt is almost becoming the entire tax base isn't it well it will eventually and you know it's interestingly enough if you watch the first 10 minutes of that 60 minutes interview that they really didn't care about because that was just you know to get get my guard down uh, they asked me what's next for the global economy and one of the things i stressed was that inflation was going to become a much bigger problem uh, and it was a tax that everybody has to be concerned about. And, of course, you know, we recorded that interview early in COVID. And, you know, that that forecast turned out to be correct. And I also talked about the ultimate demise of the dollar and its loss of, uh, of its reserve status. And that hasn't happened yet, but, but, but that's coming. And one of the reasons that it's going to happen is because how many dollars we're going to have to create to uh, finance that debt. Um, because you're right. I mean, if you look at the current tax revenue to the government, which is around four trillion a year, um, the government is spending one trillion a year on interest, which is about 25 percent of the taxes. By the end of next year, just if rates just stay where stay where they are, by the end of next year, based on all the debt that matures plus the additional debt that we take on interest is going to be two trillion a year right and that's 50 percent of all tax revenue and it won't take that many more years you know just a few more years with rates staying at that level and then you're going to have tax you know interest consuming all of the tax revenue right which would mean the government would have no money for anything else other than interest on the debt, which means that to the extent that the government wanted national defense, uh, Social Security, Medicare, um, everything that the government does right down to, you know, the salaries of, you know, Congress, right, and everything else, all of that money, 100% of that money would have to be borrowed, which, you know, isn't even impossible. So obviously, before we get there, some catastrophic fiscal crisis is going to have to ensue long before we get to the point right. where a hundred percent of tax revenue goes to interest on the debt. Yeah. And what do you think that point, what do you think the psychological breaking point is for the rest of the world to understand that you were at a point maybe that we're not going to be able to backtrack from? Well, again, you know, we should already be there. I mean, it should already be obvious, but clearly, you know, a safe needs to fall on somebody's head right before. <laughs> but um, look, I think that we are in the process, right, of, of this happening because right now everybody or, the, you know, the, the, the mainstream is still under the delusion that you know, everything is fine, that inflation is going to come back down to 2%, and that the Fed is going to be able to bring rates back down, uh, you know, to the low levels, you know, whether it's all the way back to zero, but something close to zero. Uh, and that the Fed will be able to go back to quantitative easing, you know, and it's, it's going to be fine. That's what people believe. And I think that at some point soon, more and more uh, people of substance, you know, the, the bigger names um, are going to start to really question that that premise, because what's going to happen 
is the economic data is going to deteriorate more, including a meaningful <laughs> rise in the official level of unemployment. The, you know, the, the inflated GDP numbers are going to come back down. And the CPI is going to start to move up um, rather substantially from its current levels. And so what you're going to see is a situation where inflation is accelerating as the economy is decelerating. Why is inflation why is inflation going to move up as the money supply is contracting here and as economic activity is going to start to contract? It seems like there's a case for deflation too, like a deflationary well, depression. The money is it, it will be a depression, <laughs> inflationary depression because the money supply has already grown so dramatically that even a small contraction uh, is meaningless given the expansion that it was preceded by. Um, you know, the the effects of inflation operate with a lag. So you expand the money supply, that's the inflation. And then the consequences, prices go up. Now, sometimes asset prices could go up before consumer prices, but prices go up uh, with a lag. And, and, and so that's what happened. And so we still have a long way to go in as far as prices rising, just to catch up to the inflation that we already created, even if we've backtracked a little bit by sucking out a small amount of the, the liquidity that was pumped in. But what I think is going to happen is as the economy weakens and as inflation rises and as that higher inflation puts upward pressure on long term interest rates, I believe the Fed is, is going to blink in this game of chicken and it's going to go back to quantitative easing in a big way. Um, it may even try to cut rates a bit. We'll see. It won't get very far. But the Fed is going to pick stimulating the economy and propping up the banks and the government over fighting inflation. And then it's going to be obvious that the Fed has basically surrendered and that inflation has won. And once that happens, that is the final nail in the dollar's coffin. The dollar can't be the reserve currency if it's going to be perpetually debased. And, and, and then that's really going to accelerate the inflation because as the dollar weakens, because people doubt the Fed's resolve to fight inflation, and, or if the Fed is pretending that it's already won the fight when it hasn't, uh, the weakening dollar is going to push commodity prices up rather substantially, and all that's going to bleed into the CPI. Uh, and then as the economy weakens due to rising uh, inflation and rising long term interest rates, the budget deficits are going to explode. And that's going to be compounding the debt problem even more, causing the Fed to have to create even more inflation to monetize uh, an even larger amount of debt. And so then it becomes a spiral and it risks, uh, you know, runaway or even hyperinflation. So, I mean, we're on the cusp of this right now. So do you think the market will continue to go up? I mean, one of the things I've had trouble justifying is why with valuations where they are, <clears throat> does the market keep going up? And I've attributed it to a couple of things. One is um, <clears throat> the tail wagging the dog with passive funds and options kind of driving the underlying instead of the other way around. Um, two is all of this excess liquidity. Uh, three is the incorrect belief that, you know, rate cuts are going to be enough to save the economy when usually that just precedes the economy getting ready to crash when they finally start to cut. Um, why is the market going up? And do you think the market will continue to go up in nominal terms? <clears throat> well, you know, I'm, I'm talking about risk, Peter. I'm talking about like tech, yeah. like risk. Yeah, I'll blow at the end of the day, the market's going up because the buyers are more motivated than the sellers, you know, and, <laughs> and the prices are going up. But the buyers are, are operating under a lot of false assumptions that are going to come back to bite them. Um, but my approach and what I have been advising my clients is not to try to figure out when the markets are going to reflect uh, irrational thinking, uh, you know, assume they stay irrational. Um, and if the Fed creates enough inflation, which they will, 
it is possible that we don't have a big drop in the stock market in nominal terms. I mean, right. I've always said that, and that's why my advice has not been to just stay short because the market's overvalued and is going to come down because if the dollar comes down more than the markets, then the markets don't go down right. in dollars. Right. But, but in real terms, yes, they will go down in terms of gold. I, I fully expect that Dow Jones to trade below two ounces of gold, maybe close to one. Now, right now, I mean, the Dow is what, 35,000? What is it, 36,000? Yeah. And, and gold is 2,000. So, you know, they're not even in the same ballpark right now. But if you look at previous major market bottoms, 1932 and 1980, the Dow was below two ounces of gold. And in fact, in 1980, it almost hit one ounce of gold, which was actually lower than the gold price of the Dow in 1932, following the you know, 1929 stock market crash. So you know, to me, it doesn't matter what happens to the nominal price of the Dow. I'm not short, so it's irrelevant. What matters to me and my clients is the real value of the Dow because that's what they own. Right. And I think that's going to collapse. And so well, what I own and what I've been advising people to own are assets that will rise in real terms as the dollar falls. And, and so I think my portfolio of dividend paying foreign stocks, of resource stocks, of materials and uh, energy, mining, agriculture, uh, the type of consumer the companies that I own and the products and services that they sell and my heavy exposure uh, to gold and, and gold mining. I think these portfolios are going to ultimately end up uh, returning or giving the best real returns to investors, even if that may not have been the case the past 10 years, even if people on paper are doing better in the NASDAQ. All right. Well, this is the point in the podcast where. Peter Schiff's phone shut down due to heat because it was in the sauna. So I just texted him back and I said, hey, we lost you mid-sentence. And he texted me back, live and learn. The phone shut down due to heat. I'm done in nine minutes. <laughs> I guess I'll just go fuck off for nine minutes then. I'm huh? just wait for Peter to get back. We'll see. I'm going to go make a cup of coffee. I put it on the floor to cool off. I think take talking on it adds to heat. Okay. Uh, that's what happens when Peter Schiff takes his interviews from his own sauna. Must be nice. I'm sitting here in a 400-square-foot apartment. I imagine at some point here in the next couple minutes, I'll get Peter on for a couple more minutes. That is the goal because I do have a couple more questions for him. But if not, if this is the last thing you hear, it means that I uh, – we already had a number of scheduling conflicts to get this – interview together this morning and so if i get frustrated and just say i'm just not doing it anymore i'm going out for a run then this marks the end of the podcast i'm gonna play the audio too of me calling him back because i know he's gonna have some excuse i'll be like oh, i didn't know what was gonna happen we tried to schedule this podcast like three times and uh it was a disaster you know i'm not gonna blame anybody specifically but i'm just gonna say that all right, see, he just tried to call, so I'm going to try to call him now. This is what it sounds like when we when we get somebody on the phone. Hello? Hello? There you are. All right, it's been nine minutes. Did you finish your self-care regimen? My listeners want to know what's going on. Yeah, yeah, I'm sweating. You see me? I was sweating in uh, the 170-degree heat. So oh, my God, there. take the video off. I don't need video of you without a shirt on. <laughs> this is just for you. <laughs> Dude, please. People are going to think I'm fucking lying. But there is a well, video. I'm going to take a fucking screenshot of you so I can show people no. that you have arrived on my phone shirtless. No, so here, I'll show, here's where I was. This is the sauna in there. I was in there. This is my. This is the room that I do all the health stuff. There's the hyperbaric oxygen chamber over there. This is all the... <laughs> This is all the equipment. This is my, that's my cryo chamber. It's now, you know, warming up and self-cleaning. And over there, I've got the red light bed. So, uh, do you want, do you want, the, do you want the tour of my studio apartment? <laughs> do you? You get, you get, you got to get some more gold. 
Yeah. Okay. All right. Are you right. Re- are you ready for a question about economics so that I can let you go and we can end this yeah, death I'm, march? Let me turn off this, this video. This is turning into a death march. This podcast. <laughs> All right, all right. So where did where where did where did we leave off when my phone when they my phone shut down to protect itself from the heat? <laughs> uh, I I don't know, but the point is, here's what I wanted to ask you because I I I wrote down the last couple questions I had. I wanted to ask you why miners are having so much trouble catching up to the price of gold right now, and it's either one of two things: it's either miners are skeptical of gold's rally, or they haven't gotten the the message yet. So let's. Try it. So let's see if we can answer that question without you getting a pan- uh, pedicure, manicure, or any <laughs> other kind of you know self care that may shut the phone down. Let's see if we can get through this one. Yeah. Well, the couple, there's a couple of reasons for this. Um, you know, one is, and this is kind of ironic, but inflation has actually really hurt gold mining companies. And you would have thought, well, inflation is going to be good for gold miners because it's going to mean people are going to want to buy gold to hedge inflation. The gold price is going to go up. And so you would think that the miners would benefit from inflation. But what happened was inflation really caught, you know, pushed up the cost of mining. Their raw material costs, you know, their energy costs, their, their, their labor costs. It's, you know, it, it's an expensive, um, you know, procedure to mine gold. And the cost of mining kept going up and up and up. So even though the price of gold has gone up to 2000 the mining companies are not that much more profitable than they were when gold was 1000 because the costs have you know, gone up commensurate. In fact, in many cases, the costs have gone up more than the price of gold. Um, and so that's been a problem. But also, stocks are more of a reflection of investors' outlook for the future and now you're right. trying to discount that that future to the present so it's very forward looking and so when investors are looking at a gold company and they see the price of gold at 2000 and they extrapolate what is what are the profits going to be over the next five or ten years they have to make an assumption about where they think the price of gold is going to be over the next five or 10 years to have any indication of, you know, what the profits are going to be. And if you look at the assumptions, they're generally for a lower gold price in the future than the price that we got right now. So it's because the stock market investors are so bearish on the future of gold that they're not discounting, you know, positive earnings impact of a rising gold price. Whereas the gold price itself is just a reflection of what does it cost to buy gold right now? What is the current supply and demand? What is the price? It's not what the price is going to be in a year or two or 10. It's what's the price right now? So it's kind of a different market. Uh, and, and, and to me, it's been a positive negative indicator, right? A, a reverse contrarian indicator. The fact that the investing community has been so negative on gold. You know, I remember back in the early 2000s, I was buying a lot of oil stocks back then, a lot of like really obscure, like oil stocks in Kazakhstan. I, I remember I was doing this and they were really cheap. And the reason they were so cheap is when I looked at the expectations for oil, even though oil was trading around $15, $20 a barrel when I was making these investments. The analysts had in their forecasts what they expected the price of oil to be in the future. And they were looking at like $10, like five or 10 years later, they thought oil would be $10 a barrel. And so that's kind of why they were uh, pricing these stocks the way they were. Of course, oil ended up going over 100. It was 10 times higher than what they were forecasting. And so a lot of these stocks that I was buying back then you know, went, went, you know, went on a rocket ride. Um, in fact, one in Kazakhstan in particular, I was thinking of, I think I made 50 times my money on that stock. That's how cheap it was. Uh, and I didn't even sell it. It got bought out by, uh, uh, by uh, uh, China National Petroleum. It used to be called Hurricane Hydrocarbons, and then they changed the name to Petro-Kazakhstan. But I wrote it from 25 cents to like 25 bucks. Um, um, but, you know, and I didn't buy it at 25 cents. I think my lowest personal cost was about a buck, buck and a quarter. 
I was kind of nervous when it was down to 25 cents. I should have bought even more. <laughs> but I, you know, it ended up being one of my best investments. I just wish I had more money in it. But it's a percentage return. But I had a lot of other oil stocks too that went up as, a lot, not as much as, as that one. Um, but I think the same thing is going to happen with these gold stocks. I think the analysts who are, um, uh, you know, so bearish on the future price of gold, it's only because they don't understand inflation, they don't understand economics, they don't understand gold. They're going to be very surprised at how high the price of gold goes. And not just, you know, in a, in a, in a you know, nominal sense, but in relation to other commodities. So I expect to see gold prices rising a lot more than, let's say, oil prices or uh, the cost of paying wages to a, to a gold miner. So I think the real profits at these gold companies are going to explode. And none of that is currently <clears throat> reflected in their share price. And what's also more significant with a gold mine, and this is kind of unique to a lot of other businesses. Let's say I got a gold mine and I got, you know, various you know places in this mine where I got gold. And some of the gold is more ex expensive to extract than others. Right. And and when they measure the, the resources and they try to estimate, you know, what a particular deposit, what it would cost to extract it. Well, let's say I'm a big gold company and I have a very large deposit of gold, but I've estimated the cost of mining it at $2,500 an ounce. Well, gold's only $2,000 an ounce. What's that deposit worth? Well, it's worth nothing. So it's not even counted as an asset by anybody because as far as the market's concerned, it's totally worthless. It costs you $2,500 to dig it up and you're going to lose five you know, $500 on every ounce. Now, maybe that kind of math works in tech stocks where they don't give a damn about earnings. You know, you can lose money on every sale and make it up in volume. But it doesn't work that way in the real world that gold miners operate. But here's what I think is going to happen. So all of a sudden, gold is $3,000, $4,000, $5,000 an ounce. And now a large deposit that had zero value on the balance sheet of a mining company all of a sudden, it's worth billions of dollars. Right. Out of nowhere. Just, it's just, you know, all of a sudden, oh my God, we have this huge asset that we've never even counted. And, and so what's, now that's going to be reflected in the stock. So I, I just think that an enormous amount of money, of course, could be wrong, right? But I mean, this is what I believe. Uh, and I've been right on a lot of stuff. I've only been off on my timing, but I've been right on what's going to happen. Uh, and in fact, pretty much everything that's happening today that is being reported. Like I, I was laughing. I got this guy, Mr. Wonderful. You know, he, I just read an article and he started talking about, uh, you know, the problems with commercial real estate and the losses and the fact that, you know, these properties are losing value because people aren't uh, going to work. I mean, he was saying stuff I was saying years ago and he was saying, well, nobody saw this coming. Well, that's not true. I saw it coming in crystal clarity from a mile away. And I explained exactly the problem that the banks are having right now that he said nobody saw coming. I saw it coming years ago, and I talked about it. I tweeted about it. The guy follows me, you know, on 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 X. You know, but uh, and so I'm sure I'm going to be right. And I think I am going to make personally a tremendous amount of money on the gold and silver stocks that I own myself. I think my clients are going to make a tremendous amount of money on the gold and silver stocks that they own. And I'm going to make a lot of money because I manage these portfolios, right? My assets under management are going to go way up because the value of the assets I'm managing is going to go way up. And so I'll make more money that way. So I, I think I'm set up you know, to hit a home run. And, you know, again, I would invite you. I would invite your, your audience. I, mean, I, I think that uh, we have separately managed accounts at Euro Pacific Asset Management. And a lot of them focus on mining strategies that are exclusively mining. In other strategies, I have small amounts of mining stocks kind of incorporated into the portfolio. But if you really want to concentrate a bet, and that's what it is, right? You're betting on something happening. But if it happens, you, I mean, it's like a huge win. Like somebody buys a lottery ticket, hey, I'm probably going to lose my money. But, you know, you never know. It could be me. I could, I could make hundreds of millions. 
Well, I think the odds here are a lot realer of a, of a, of a realer of a home run, you know, where you make 10 times, 20, 50 times or more of your money. I think it could happen. You know, alternatively, could, you could lose money. You could lose all your money, I guess, if every single stock I own went to zero, which I think is highly unlikely. But I guess, you know, it's possible, even if it's very improbable. But you certainly could lose 50 percent if the stocks got cut in half. Again, I don't think that's going to happen. But if you contrast that, let's say somebody puts $10,000 in gold stocks and they lose half their money, where they lose $5,000. Well, what if you make 10 times your money? You make $100,000. You make 100 times your money, you make a million. So, I mean, if you compare the upside potential to the downside risk, you know, it's, it's skewed. You think and there will be spots like. in gold that go up 100x in, in, without taking on, without leverage? Without buying options. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you need leverage because I think that these companies are going to be so much more valuable. You look at what happened to homestake mining in the 1970s. Look at the increase. I don't know if it was 50x or 100x, but you know, when you get a big move like that, gold went from $35 an ounce to 850. Right? I mean, something on that magnitude could happen with a dollar crisis and, and 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 there's just such enormous potential but even if i'm wrong and you don't make 20 times your money you don't make 10 times your money you just make five times your money that's still a lot more than you could lose if gold prices go down so it's just you know it depends on you know what your risk tolerance is and if you want to you know try to uh, get into this trade uh, you know, when I was telling people to short the subprime market, there was no guarantee there either. And people made 10 times their money if they got into the fund that I was that I was selling at the time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you got to decide, you know, how, if you want to if you want to make place the bet or not. But I think that my managed accounts are a great way to do it. And I think if you're just a do it yourselfer, you know, my goal fund that Adrian Day manages, you can buy it on any discount broker. You can buy the no load investors version. So get in for zero fees. Uh, I think Adrian's built an incredible portfolio. Not all the stocks in there are going to you know, go 50x or 100x, but I think some of them might. Uh, but I think the whole portfolio is going to do extremely well. And given that gold is at an all-time record high and that gold stocks still need to go up you know, 12% to hit a 52-week high, to hit a record high, the smaller, if you look at the index, the GDXJ, yeah. It's still about 80%, 80% below its 2011 high. 80%. Silver is still 50% below its record high, even though gold is at an all-time record high. When, is you, when have you seen that? Right. So there's some huge divergences here uh, that I think are just a great opportunity. Instead of trying to figure out, hey, why is silver so cheap? Just buy it. <laughs> you know, because by the time you figure out why it was cheap, it won't be cheap anymore. So you buy it, you know, you take advantage of this. Um, you know, people are distracted by the cryptocurrencies or they're looking at, you know, the, the, um, the stocks that are in the AI space and they're missing the bigger picture of what's going on monetarily with a monetary, a fiscal, a sovereign debt crisis, a dollar crisis. I mean, the numbers are spiraling out of control. Yes, they are. And, you know, it just can't. It just can't go in this parabolic rate when you're looking at, you know, we're on the cusp now of, of getting into an official recession. But we already have $3 trillion a year deficits when they're telling us we have the greatest economy ever. It's supposedly a booming economy. Uh, Powell is talking about how <clears throat> resilient and strong and how we're the envy of the world, yet we have the largest deficits in our history. I mean, what happens in this next recession? Where are these deficits going to go? Um, and how are we going to finance them? Um, and it's not just the interest. It's the principle. We have to repay over the next year a third, one third of that $34 trillion national debt comes due. That means the people who own the bonds can ask for their money back. Right. You know, so, And if nobody else wants to loan us the money, then where is it going to come from? Well, there's only one source, the Fed, and that's massive inflation. You know, if, if you wanted to borrow money, you went into a bank and you showed the bank, yeah, you know, 
I'd like to borrow some money. And he's oh, okay, great. What are you going to use it for? Well, I got some other debt that I need to pay off, you know, and I don't have the money. And I said, well, why? Well, because all the income I have goes to pay my credit card bills and there's nothing left over. So I need to borrow some more money from you so I can make it, you know, to, you know, a few more payments because I got, you know, <laughs> like they're going to say, OK, yeah, sign here. We'll give you a loan so you can pay off your other loans, but not even pay off your loan. You know, it, just to pay the interest. So we're not credit worthy. <laughs> yeah. People keep saying, whoa. Who cares? You know, the U.S. can print the money. That's exactly the point. That's the risk. They're supposed to pay off their debt through taxation, but you can't get blood from a stone. Right. The tax are already broke. You know, now there's some billionaires out there who still have money, but good luck taxing them. And, 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 you, and there's not even enough money there. Even if you take all their billions, it's a spit in the ocean. Speaking of the ocean, while we're on the phone here, uh, just broke. American warship and multiple commercial vessels have been attacked in the Red Sea. So things could get very interesting here going into the uh, Sunday Night Futures wow. Open. Yeah, that's attacked, that, by, attacked by whom? I don't know. I'm looking at it right now. I'm going to tell you. I have the article right here. <clears throat> but that's uh, that would be a significant escalation, man. I bet you Nikki Haley's happy. Hang on. Let's see. Uh... USS Kearney, multiple commercial ships attacked in the Red Sea. Here's what the article says. Uh, an American warship and multiple commercial ships came under attack Sunday in the Red Sea, the Pentagon said, potentially marking a major escalation in a series of maritime attacks in the Mideast linked to Israel-Hamas. Uh, does not say suspected drone attack, potentially, the British military said the Pentagon did not identify where it believed the fire came from yet. So it's just breaking now. Look, I mean, look, you know, nothing good is going to come of this in the, in the, in the short run. I mean, it's just going to get messier and messier. I said that from the beginning, just like yeah, I agree. Uh, with, with Russia and the Ukraine, right? Immediately, as soon as that happened, and it's almost been two years now where we've had this completely unnecessary war that was totally instigated by the United States. I said that this was going to be like Vietnam. It wasn't going to be over. It was going to just drag out. And again, here it is, two years, and nothing has happened except a, bu a bunch of people have died needlessly on both sides right. for no reason, for no reason. They, 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 they were going to settle this, right? Uh, uh, Russia and the Ukraine were ready to, like, ink a deal, and, and we came in there and we stopped it. And we said, oh, no, 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 we'll give you unlimited amounts of money. Keep fighting. Right. We, we want this war because, you know, we're going to make a lot of money selling you all this ammunition or whatever. But, you know, we, we instigated this. And then we tried to pretend that uh, Zelensky was some kind of George Washington. And he was like, you know, fighting the, a new American revolution for freedom. <laughs> when there's less freedom in the Ukraine than there is in Russia. Yeah, really interesting interview. If you want some, if you want some perspective on Russia that you're not going to get from the mainstream, is Bill Maher just did a sit down with Oliver Stone a week or two ago on oh, his really? on his podcast called Club Random. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to hear Oliver Stone's perspective on Russia. He spent a lot of time there. He knows the history very well. Yeah, you know, he's been he's been getting better. You know, uh, Bill Maher. I mean, I think maybe as he's getting older, he's getting wiser, and he's. You know, he's questioning a lot of the liberals and the woke culture. But I don't know. Maybe if he keeps going in this direction, he'll just become libertarian. When's maybe he going to have you on? I mean, he is. He's always kind of been libertarian on a lot of issues. When When's he going to have you on? When are you going on Bill Maher? You know, he hasn't reached out to me. Uh, you know, a lot of people used to tell me they thought I looked like him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you kind of do, actually. <laughs> now that I think yeah. about it. I mean, it wasn't like he was this handsome movie star. I would have preferred, to, you know, something else. But yeah, I mean, I think he's a bad looking guy. You know? Anybody? Hey, anybody ever tell you you look like Winston Churchill? <laughs> oh. But he, you know, he did talk about me. I reached out to him a long time ago because he had Art Laffer on his show. Oh and Christ! While Art Laffer was on his show. He basically teased him about his 
CNBC debate with me. Yeah, you beat the shit out of him going into the going into the housing crisis. He was like, Peter, we're just going to have a nice slowdown. (laughs) Yeah. And so so Bill Maher was reading all the stuff that I said. And then he said, hey, uh, did you ever pay off that bet? Did you ever give the guy the dollar that show? So he talked about me. But then I and back then I said, hey, Bill, why don't you have me on? I'm happy to go on your show. Uh, you know, but he never, they never responded. Laffer said, Laffer said, Peter, I'll bet you, I'll bet you a penny that you're wrong. You're like, I'll bet you a lot more than a penny. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to have a slowdown, but no, nothing like what you're talking about. <laughs> I watch those videos all the time. And I was trying to find the one this week. I sent you an email, but you couldn't find it. There's yeah, one. Yeah. If anybody can find this video, get it to my inbox and I will I will appreciate it. There's a video where Peter's debating somebody on the left over the either the debt ceiling or the national debt. But uh Peter just says, you know, you don't you don't pay off the debt by going further into debt. And this woman's like, Well, that's just fundamentally untrue. <laughs> Yeah, because if I said that, it probably had to do with raising the debt ceiling. Right, said, that, that's what I think it was. I went back and looked. You got fucking a thousand videos on your YouTube. I can't watch all, but even I have some kind of life. <laughs> I right. know. Well, there's, there's a record there. Last there's question. Historical record. Last question. Of- Last question. Let, let me ask you one more question, and then we can both go on our way and enjoy our Sunday, all right? You can go back in your hyperbaric chamber, and I can go for my I'm room. Done, I'm done with that. All right. Bitcoin. Let's talk about Bitcoin real quick, okay? Bitcoin has had a string of wins, all right? It was the best performing asset of the year, and I understand past performance is not indicative of future results. It has seen uh, it, it. There's been some victories here against the SEC, where there's going to be spot Bitcoin ETFs, and it seems as though even if they're just doing it to collect their fees, Bitcoin is getting a lot of mainstream adoption from the people that are in control, the big banks, the you know the the too big to fail institutions and the government is regulating it, which is a tacit kind of ap- approval that it's, that it's going to be accepted. So are you ready well, to throw in yeah. the towel on Bitcoin? Well, first of all, government's regulated Bernie Madoff, right? They, they, <laughs> they, they approved what he was doing. Uh, you know, just because the government says you can buy something doesn't mean you should buy it. Uh, in fact, they actually go out of their way and say that this is not an endorsement. Just because we've okayed it doesn't mean we're endorsing it or recommending it. I mean, you can lose all your money. Right. So the FCC even admits that they're not betting it for, you know, it's, it's investment merits. Um, but I also think, you know, if you look at these big investment banks that are getting involved, yeah, you know, those same investment banks decided it was smart to load up on subprime mortgages. And then they all failed, or they would have failed if they didn't get bailed out. So, you know, they don't have a great track record. There's an expression on Wall Street, feed the ducks when they're quacking, right? And what that means is you give the public what they want, when they want it, you know, even if it's bad. And so, yeah, they see an opportunity to make a quick buck suckering people, right? Uh, Just like, you know, P.T. Barnum. There's a sucker born every minute, right? So I'm going to take their money at my circus. And so that's what Wall Street is doing. They're taking money from suckers who want to buy uh, a Bitcoin. But I think that all of the, 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 the hype now and the buying is purely a function of speculation off of these ETFs. So people are buying Bitcoin now because they think other people will buy it later right. once it's available in an ETF. And they're expecting all this new demand that they can sell into. Like, like there's all these people that for years have just refused to buy Bitcoin because they didn't want to actually buy Bitcoin. They didn't want to buy Bitcoin futures. They didn't want to buy ETFs with Bitcoin futures. They didn't want to buy the Grayscale Trust when it was trading at a 50% discount to the Bitcoin that he owned. No, no, no. All these people stood back for years and didn't buy any Bitcoin because they've been waiting for this spot ETF. And now they're all going to buy. I think that's a bunch of BS. I think it's just a bunch of hype. I don't think there is this tremendous pent up demand for Bitcoin that is going to be unleashed with these ETFs. In fact, they already have spot Bitcoin ETFs. They're just not in the United States. They have them in other countries. So um, I think investors are going to be very disappointed and they're going to lose a lot of money. It's either going to be a buy the rumor, sell the fact, 
or it's going to be a buy the rumor, sell the rumor, because by the time the fact comes, the market's going to already crash. Uh, you know, it, it, that's what's going to happen. There is no adoption. When they talk about, oh, more adoption, nobody is using Bitcoin for anything other than speculation. Nothing is being adopted. It's just more gamblers at the casino. That's it. But they're not using it as a currency, as a medium of exchange, as a store of value, of a unit of account, of anything other than a medium of speculation. And so I just think it's going to implode. You know, And the fact that gold is breaking out, if we really start to see a big move up in the price of gold, I think that's going to be a big problem for Bitcoin. Because I think one of the main selling points of Bitcoin was, hey, gold's not going anywhere. Gold's not doing anything. You're wasting your time in gold, right, by Bitcoin. But as gold is steadily moving higher and higher and higher, and now people can see that, oh, I'm not wasting my time in gold. Gold is finally performing. It's acting as an inflation hedge, a store of value and all that. Uh, then there's no reason to settle for fool's gold when you can buy the real thing. All right. What's, what's your cocktail of choice for the Dolphins game today? Oh, you know, we got an open bar at the uh, you know tailgate that I go to here. So, uh, but I don't drink a lot during the day. No, I end up a lot of water just to just to stay hydrated. But yeah, you know, I might. I, I generally I generally drink uh, the Moscow Mules. Do you? During the day, yeah, I like them. You know, the margaritas. Uh, but Moscow Mules, I, I like the ginger beer. You were drinking a Manhattan when I saw you in Manhattan, yeah, well, actually. Well, no, no, it was an old fashioned. I think. Oh yeah, I like the old fashioned too. Those are my, that's my cock, my evening cocktail. I really like the old fashioned at night. So, uh, <laughs> no, I got to take that shirtless photo of you and uh, right in front of no, it, no, you no. know, Peter Schiff in the evening, you know, like you in a bathrobe holding an old fashioned. No, 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 that was that. You can't use that photo. Friday. What's that? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's end the interview before you send me any other photos of yourself. In the shower or anywhere else, okay? (laughs) Peter, thanks, man. I appreciate your time, brother. Thank you very much. Take care. All right. Talk to you soon. (laughs) That was – dude, that scheduling for that interview was just – we were supposed to talk at 6 o'clock this morning. I texted him last night to confirm at 6 o'clock, and he was like, eh. He's like, I'm watching football. Maybe it'll be later. I was like, (laughs) oh, well, fuck me then. You know, all right, maybe it'll be later. So I just said, I'll just call you when I wake up. And then he called me while I was still sleeping. And then I called him when I woke up. I said, you want to do it today? He's like, no, let's do it next week. I said, come on, let's do it today. And he said, all right, we'll do it today. And then we get on the phone. He's in the sauna. He's out of the sauna. The, the Bluetooth. We, we stopped this video, this, this recording, like 20 times during the interview. You can't tell because I spliced it all back together. But we stopped this thing like 20 times. So it really was a death march. But I'm glad we did it. I haven't talked to Peter in a long time. And uh, it's great to hear from him, even if I have to endure fucking shirtless selfies from him. You might think I'm joking, but I have sadly have the photo to prove it. All right, fools. I'm out of here. Have a great Sunday. Thank you guys for your continued support of the podcast. It really means a lot to me. And uh, check out my blog, Fringe Finance. Link is in the podcast description. I would love if you subscribed. That would allow me to eat five molecules of rice for dinner tonight. All right, fools. Peace.